Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 688 of the Juicebox podcast. Welcome back, everybody. On today's show, I'll be speaking with John. John is my second interview in my Type 2 Stories series. John has Type 2 diabetes. He listens to the podcast and wait till you find out what using insulin has done for him. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you have type 2 diabetes and you would like to be on the show, please contact me. I'm trying to build a vibrant series of people living with type 2 diabetes. I would love for you to come on the show and share your story. I hope you reach out. If you have type 1 diabetes and you are a U.S. resident or the caregiver of someone with type 1, please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and fill out the survey. It will take you fewer than 10 minutes. And when you do it, you'll be helping someone with type 1 diabetes and supporting the podcast. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod 5 and the Omnipod Dash. To learn more or to get started today, go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box. The show is also sponsored today by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. And to get started with the Dexcom, again, all you have to do is go to dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Both Dexcom and Omnipod have different versions of a free offer. You have to go to their links to find out if you're eligible, but you could be eligible for a free 10-day supply of the Dexcom G6, and you may be eligible for a free 30-day supply of Omnipod Dash. Go check them out and find out. My name is John Gefell. Um, should I give you that like patient presents with kind of the thing? <laughs> um, I'm 61 years old today. Oh, my goodness. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. Yeah. And it's been a journey fraught with peril and joy, as most lives are. Yeah, and um, I guess I should just kind of give the dump about what my diabetes is. Yeah, sure. Um, I currently weigh 275 pounds at 61 years of age. When I was 33, I weighed over 500 pounds. I have weighed over 300 pounds since my early teens. Um I was raised institutionalized in uh, different kinds of uh, group homes, boys' homes, and even a mental hospital mm-hmm. or two. And um, when I was 16, I self-emancipated, which means I ran away and hitchhiked across all of the North America and stuff. And that was a lot of fun. But um, my health and all the, the things that go in. So I hear you have episodes about body dysmorphia. You have episodes about this. You have episodes of that. And I find myself in so many of them, right? And in, in many of them in ways that I haven't fully acknowledged or processed. And so that's a, something the podcast really helps me with is the great variety of personal experience. And even though I'm not type one, I'll get to that in a second. Um, I have found the journey of, of people with type one to be very inspirational, especially the parents caring for the children. Mm-hmm. And given what I've told you so far, you can see that that's probably really important to me. So a great big hurrah to the dia moms and the dia dads, they're forces of nature. And um, 
just really heartwarming to see what they go through and what they do. And um, I'm glad that they've found you in this podcast and the community because the magic is there being bold with insulin and uh, facing the challenges and, and, and dealing with them takes a lot of courage and a lot of information. So it's been really good to me. I am type two. Uh, you can tell because I mean, my weight and everything, I've had all the tests for type one. I'm a classic type two. And what happened, um, is this going well? Are, are you kidding me? I'm going to I'm I'm going to cry in a second. May I, may, I can I can I interject here? Uh, I never imagined that the podcast would help somebody with type two diabetes. I hoped it would, but I didn't imagine it would. And and let me tell you why and why I think you're such a a, a special person. Um, for the entirety of the time that I've been doing this, going all the way back to writing about it. And being just aware of people with diabetes and, you know, and having scope, being able to see many, many people, you know, living at the same time, sort of virtually. Um, the one thing that I've thought forever is we could help people with type 2 diabetes, but they don't have the same drive to be evolved, involved in a community. And I, you know, I mean, I don't know why, right? I'm not there with them. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't have type 2 but it always seemed to me that it was a difficult thing to like raise a flag for. Like it's hard to stand up, I'm imagining, and say, I have type 2 diabetes because most people are going to think, oh, well, sure, you ate your way to this. And then and then that pushes everything back onto you that you don't want to hear, which might even not be true for you, by the way. But even if it isn't, you know, it's not something you want to hear if it is. With type 1, it's a thing that happened to you. And you're fighting back against it. And so I think that's the difference. I think that a type one feels like a thing happened to me and I can stand up and push back. And with type two, it could feel like I did this thing and I'm embarrassed. And because and of I'm that, is that right? Yeah, very much. And I'm sorry my Facebook is doing that thing again. Um, <laughs> it's okay. We'll get I'm really that. sorry. Don't worry. Uh, too, too many computers, too many things going on. Um, it's very true. And I've had to go through a lot of evaluation and deep thought uh, to deal with the, what I call the, the, the very real chasm, I guess, the gulf between type one and type two. And I have my, my guilt burden, of course. And I, you know, it's like sexuality and other things. Is it nature or nurture? And does it matter? Right. Ultimately, it's about for me taking responsibility for what I'm doing and for who I am and learning. For, well, as we'll see in this discussion, it became a matter of having the right tools and getting out of the type two stereotypes and assumptions made by medicine and everything. I'll add to your thing about not think not knowing that type, the Juice Box podcast could be good for type twos. I'm professionally involved in looping right now, and we'll talk a little bit about that if if if, if the opportunity arises. Um, I work at um, Medical Data Networks, T1PAL, and I work with Ben West. Mm -hmm. And I've been working professionally on providing Night Scout and Loop to people for nine months. And of course, everybody I work with is type one. And um, the things you say make perfect sense. I'm sorry, I'm almost starting to ramble so much behind this to unwrap. But type ones, in my opinion, uh, have been dealt this hand at various ages, but often very young. And you have to deal with it. You have to incorporate it into your life. And with type two, you get um, a real long tail, right? You can drag it out forever and ignore it. I could go on a big rant. I don't want to. Well, no, 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 John. Um, so 
I'm sure I'm not 100% right for every person, right? But I think big picture, talking about how to build a community, I think I've got the gist of it. And because you can't build a community around type two, it's hard to get enough type twos together to show them, hey, here's some steps, right? Or some tools or some ideas. They might help you a little bit or a lot maybe. Because you can't do that, no one tries. And so I always just in the back of my heart thought, eventually some type twos are going to find the podcast. It's going to help them. And then I'm going to bring them on and have this conversation. Because I believe there's a type two podcast that would be just as valuable to twos as it would be to ones as this podcast has been to ones. And I think you could tailor it to them. And I even know how I want to do it. I've known for years how I want to do it. I'm not going to say Mm. it here because someone will rip me off. I'm 100% certain. But um, the truth is, is until you can bring enough people together to support it, it won't matter. I'll be talking to myself and the person on the other end of the line. So I need to build momentum so that I can bring in more type twos until it becomes its own thing. And then I can split it off. That's my idea. I'm trying to stay alive long enough for that to happen, John. And I'll tell you, as you can hear me trying to clear my voice, maybe it's not going to happen, but I'm doing my best over here. Um, I really do. I see a pathway to it. You just have to get enough people to get started. That's all. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Um, I I, I talk a lot and over talk sometimes. But you mentioned uh, you hope to stay alive to do a thing. And I just wanted to uh, interject that I have my uh, nephew and niece here. And um, it's not by blood, but it's a really big deal. And they are my nephew and niece. And I haven't spent a good amount of time with them for some years, but they came over and they're spending my birthday here with me at the house, uh, 13, Charlotte and 14, um, Michael. Mm -hmm. And um, long ago when they were born, it was my, and I could get a little weepy here. Definitely. I'm a very emotional person. Um, It was like, I want to live to see them in their teen years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same kind of thing, you know? And yeah. so that gets around to me taking care of my health or not. Right. So the type two thing, I don't know if you remember, but when we scheduled this, it's because I reached out all a bundle of fire and flame to do something to reach out to type twos. And we had this conversation and I recognize that what you're doing is really good. You have experience in this community. I have a lot of experience in online communities, but I figured let me learn more about myself and my diabetes and, and how I can help myself and and then I can maybe try to do a group. So I think what you say is very true. Uh, there, there does need to be a space for type twos. And another thing I've learned more than anything in my life, and I've been through a lot of diversity and a lot of uh, diversity, but I've really learned through the diabetic community, how very important it is to take everybody on. I don't know if the word is at face value, but to appreciate the differences that everybody has and to not be uh, judgmental or declarative about things and let people um, express and be themselves within this. And you do a really incredible job of opening that door for everybody to speak and everybody to participate. And informing my thoughts, I had to be not too judgmental, but there is the, the thing about type twos, you know, kind of bring it upon themselves. I call it behavioral or cultural diabetes. Mm-hmm. And I think even type ones and everybody has it because they want you to eat the big gulp. They want you to have the big Mac. They want you to have restaurant portions that are absolutely insane for everybody. And so that leads to ill health across the board, regardless of whether you're type two or not. When I was very young, I had a oral glucose tolerance test and they said I was pre-diabetic. Um, How old? <laughs> Go ahead. How old were you when that happened? 
I think I was probably around 12-ish, I'm going to guess, around 12. That's shocking. Yeah, I mean, at that age, it's, you know, let's break you, let's break you down a little bit so we can tell the story. So um, you rattled some numbers off at the beginning, but in your teens, you're over 300 pounds. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, by 33 years old, you said you were up to 500? About 540, but um, I was weighing myself at a feed store, and that's as high as the scale. That was past the 500 the scale would go, but I linearly interpolated the distance to the stop pin. Okay. Um, Is that crazy? Ding! Well, I didn't expect you to say feed store, John. I actually, you got, you caught me with that one. Um, I just, <laughs> I was thinking as you were saying, as you started to talk, once you get to 500, another 40 pounds is, it, it doesn't probably even seem like a big deal. Well, I'll tell you what I did at that time is um, Lotus one, two, three had kind of made an appearance mm -hmm. and there were some data government databases out there. And so I um, made my own spreadsheet to track and this is memory, but like 20 micronutrients and other nutrients and macronutrients and everything. And I would model my food and I would swim a mile a day every other day at the gym. And that's quite a thing at that weight, but I was a trained swimmer as a child and it's all about form, right? Every lap was the same amount of time backwards and forwards. And when you're moving that much weight around, you don't want it bouncing back into itself. And so my swimming training helped me to do that. And I lost over a hundred pounds that year, but then it was on again, off again in the decades since. So you could, and so, you could, you could successfully lose a hundred pounds in a year, but it would just come back. Well, the hundred didn't come back. So I got down from the five plus to, you know, around 420 mm -hmm. or so. And then over the years, it gravitated towards about 350. Okay. And then I would make determined pushes, right, to yeah. get it down. And I got down to like 280 twice, but then rolled back. And I got to tell you, I was uh, before the start of the zombie apocalypse, COVID. Oh, I knew it. Um, yeah, yeah, I knew it. Yeah, everybody yeah. did, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was um, 280 pounds. I'm 270-ish right now. You know, it goes up and down every day. But I mean, within a pound or two mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm about 270 now. So I'm kind of back where I was then. But even then, my glucose was not good, you know? And I've got certain amounts of issues as a result of that. Um, I don't know. I got a little lost. Sorry. No, that's okay. I have questions. That's fine. Uh, so Yeah, that's, by the way, I, I kind of mentioned somewhere is, is that, You'll drag out of me what we need to have. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, if I'm on my game, right? I want to know about. I want to know about when's the first time somebody said to you you have type two diabetes. About what age was that? That, by memory, mind you, is somewhere in my very early thirties. Okay, and then and I had some sort of a cold kind of thing. Whatever you know, it was getting a bit like unpleasant and i went to see a doctor and somehow they decided to do the glucose thing and it was um i think it read the meter read something like oh my god and they put me on insulin and, and that's what i want to know about so when that happens to you in that in that moment and you leave that office the first time do you have any idea what's really going on i mean what's the what's the discussion like the training <laughs> what's your understanding leaving there that day I was on oral medications for a year or two, and then I'm kind of having to go way back in my musty memory. And then I saw this doctor because I was sick. And then he said, you need to be on insulin. And he handed me a pen 
and showed me how to use the needle. But you see, he was a really bad doctor. First thing he told me is I had bad pulses in my feet and was going to lo- was going to lose them soon. That was 30 plus years ago. And every doctor I've seen since then says I have, my pulses are fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and um, he, it was interesting. Some of the things he told me, I tried to put the little cap back on the pen needle, the little cap. And he was like, no, 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 you don't do that. And I stuck myself. I thought I, that's a funny memory I have, but he was, the, he, he right from the bat told me, go ahead and shoot through your pants or through your shirt and reuse needles and things like that. Right. Which was, um, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of true you know? So that was the advice he gave me. And I remember thinking, wow, is this, this is um, pretty interesting. And <laughs> how important, kind of, John, how important can this be if I'm allowed to do it through my denim pants? <laughs> kind of right. Yeah, we right. use the needle, go through exactly denim pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess, yeah, thank you. You dragged that out. It was a sort of a feeling like, oh, this is just happenstance and it's It can't be that serious. Did, was there any education about um, Hey, insulin does this. It's made in your pancreas. Um, you're resistant. You're any words like that at all. Like absolutely not. Not. Okay. Get exercise, eat better, take these drugs and get over yourself. See, I have to tell you like that is infuriating to me. And, And what you just said, not even the first part of what I was saying, I can't imagine a, a, a reasonable person, let alone a medical doctor, Looking at a person who weighs three, three fifty, two eighty, four. Who cares? You, you know what I mean? Like one of those, mm-hmm. one of those numbers, and saying to you, "Oh, you know what you should do? Why don't you go for a walk and eat better?" <laughs> Sorry, yes. No, no, no. Right? Because yes. because when that happens to you in your mind, you must think, "Oh my gosh, I wish someone would have mentioned this earlier." <laughs> right? So it's not as if you were unaware of your health or 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 your weight. Or, or anything like you're, I mean, talk about that for a second. You're not just not unaware. I'm assuming it, it, it encapsulates, it, it must be in most of your day in all of your thoughts, right? Like I can't even imagine um, that it must've taken a lot of, a lot of courage to go swimming at that weight. You know, so I was raised institutionalized and all that. I've been diagnosed with every uh, mental emotional disorder there is autism seems to be the one I'm most comfortable with, but without delving too far into that, my childhood was full of abuse of all different labels that we don't need to go into right now. Mm-hmm. And my mother, I, there's, you know, Munchausen's. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a better word for that, that we use in the diabetes community, especially a scientific word. It's, um, I forget the word is, but it's like when you're faking a low or, you know, you're doing these things, right. It's that Munchausen's thing. And my mother, um, bless her heart, um, is a piece of work and had a lot of problems. So there was a lot of getting me to be seen by doctors for my mind and my body and everything. And so that uh, really made me just very resistant to the whole thing about people meddling with me and telling me what I needed to do and throwing me around and did this or that diagnosis or treatment or whatever. Um, my weight problems are and were very clearly about self-image and uh, trying to uh, buffer myself from a lot of the realities of life. And, and just, I, it's a whole thing to unwrap, right? But it's a thing I did to insulate myself, I believe, and okay. to avoid things. And that's a, a kind of a standard pathology there, I think, for John, Yeah, John, I'm not trying to, I, you can stop me whenever you want to, obviously, but you, you, 
consciously and subconsciously try to make yourself unattractive to other people so that they'll absolutely leave, so they'll leave you alone right at one i mean and by the way um i'm here to be honest and so drag it out you know i got no pride i mean i got pride but that's not pride right i'm here to share so, so that's exactly that's exactly the case okay so some of this abuse was sexual The Dexcom G6 is a continuous glucose monitoring system. It's a small device that you wear that sends a signal to your smartphone or to a receiver. That signal tells you what your blood sugar is constantly, continuously. You understand? Continuous glucose monitoring system, glucose sugar system. Anyway, consistently, constantly, use whatever word you want. It's there all the time on your Dexcom receiver or on your phone, your phone, <laughs> your phone. All right. Or on your phone. That could be an Android or an iPhone. I am picking up my iPhone right now. My daughter's blood sugar is 133. It is actually rather stable. It's been stable long enough now that when I get done making this ad, I'm going to send her a text that says, why don't you push your blood sugar a little bit? Why do I, uh, why do I say that? Well, a few hours ago, Arden changed her insulin pump, her Omnipod. At that time, we were leading into a meal. Okay, not great timing, right? But it is what it is. Now, two hours after the meal, I'm pretty confident that the pod is up and running, working great, doing what I expected to do, and that maybe we should have used more insulin for the meal. I can tell that by looking at the stability of this line. This is not a blood sugar that's about to rise or fall. It's stable and steady. We missed on the meal. We're going to give her a little more. Maybe we missed because it was a new pod site, or maybe, I don't know. doesn't matter really, does it? All I know is I'm getting back data that makes sense, that feels actionable to me, and I feel confident using it. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. These are our results and yours may vary, but there are about a million great ways to use a Dexcom. If you're using insulin, it tells you so much. And that data is so valuable. You really should check it out. Get started today with the Dexcom G6 or check out Dexcom's Hello Dexcom program, which if you're eligible for, will give you a 10-day free trial of the Dexcom G6. Links in the show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Dexcom and to our next sponsor, Omnipod. Makers of the Omnipod Dash, now talk about free trials. The Omnipod Dash free trial, if you're eligible, is 30 days long, which is a month or a twelfth of a year. One twelfth of a year for the free if you go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box and are eligible for that free trial of the Omnipod Dash. At my link, you'll be able to check your eligibility, your insurance coverage, and get started right now. You can learn more by uh, clicking on a link there, right, where you can fill in some information and say, hey, uh, I want to know more about the Dash. Or, eh, I want to know more about the Omnipod 5. You can even click on a link here. It says, call me. You put in your name and your little business is about, eh, you know what I mean? A couple bits of information. Bada bing, bada boom. They'll give you a call. They'll be like, uh, hello, is this Bill? Hey, yeah, it's uh, Bill. What's up? Bill, this is Omnipod. You uh, asked us to give you a call. You got any questions? You'd be like, oh my God, I have a ton of questions. I'm interested in starting the Omnipod Dash. Am I eligible for a free 30-day trial? Or you might say, 
I want to get me some of that sweet, sweet Omnipod 5 algorithm you got going on over there. How about that? I want to know more. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get started. Get moving. You deserve this technology. For full safety risk information and free trial terms and conditions, you can also visit Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Uh, sexual, emotional, and physical. Okay. All right. Um, and so you're building a, a force field around yourself, basically, in the only way you, you can as a child. Um, but but I'm still, like, it's funny. I'm, now I'm stuck on a bunch of different thoughts. But now I'm, I'm still stuck back on, I feel like, I feel like telling a person in your situation, why don't you get some exercise and eat better? would be like coming up to me and saying, if you really want to dunk, Scott, you just have to jump a little higher. And 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 then thinking that you helped me, walking away proud of yourself, going, I, I got Scott on the path to dunking. You, you, you know what I mean? Well, meanwhile, I'm 5'9". I, I can't yeah. get five inches off the ground, and nothing you tell me to jump higher is ever going to make me jump any higher. And And so then having laid it out that way and seeing just how ridiculous it is, my expectation has to be that a doctor who would say that to a person in your situation, what they're really saying is, yeah, I'm writing you off. And, and, I, and that's my fear. That, like, you know how I, I've been experiencing this with my mom recently? A little bit, not anymore. We found the right doctor. But uh, I don't know how much of this I've talked about on the podcast. So just very quickly, at 79 years old, my mother's living on her own, just doing great. And um, one day just says to us, she's in pain and she can't urinate. We take her to a doctor. Uh, well, we take her to the hospital. It's COVID time. My poor mom sits in the ER six, seven hours completely by herself in a house coat, you know, because um, my while my brother's sitting outside in the driveway, like watching her through a window. My brother finally extracts her from that hospital, takes her to another hospital where she's seen and they very quickly dismiss her and tell her she has a UTI. That happens to older people, they say. They keep her for a couple days, give her a bunch of medicine, a couple days in the hospital, give her a bunch of medicine. She's still not urinating any better. They send her home. Still in pain, but on these medications. Don't worry, it's a UTI. You're going to feel better. A week later, my mom calls me and says, Scott, this is getting no better at all. Um, it might be getting worse. I can't urinate. It's just like, it was just coming out of her at that point. She couldn't force it out, but it, she was so full, it was just come out. Took her to another hospital. At that hospital, they did a bunch of scans, and then they drained her bladder for her, where they removed a 1,000 cc's of urine from my mom. Sent her home. It's just a UTI. She's fine now, blah, blah, blah. Of course, it wasn't just a UTI. Her bladder fills back up again. We end up back in a, in a, in a hospital. This time, I'm with her. And I tell them, you know, as they're making her wait hours in the in the emergency room again, still COVID, I, I took the charge nurse at the desk and I said, listen to me. I was like, my mom is shutting off. Look at her. Like, she's, she's collapsing. I said, you have to drain her bladder now. We'll figure out what's wrong later. Thankfully, I did that because not only did they, A, take 2,000 cc's of urine out of my mom. That's a two-liter bottle of soda. Um, my mom comes back to life, like literally like a wilted flower that someone put water on. She just rises back up, starts talking again. But the big deal was, is that with the bladder drained, when they did the scans, they were able to see the softball sized tumor that my mom had on her ovary. 
Oh my God. Okay. So, uh, she had now been to two hospitals, her own doctor and a urologist over a month while she's tortured. No one found a softball sized tumor on her ovary. And I'm going to tell you that if I didn't push her to get drained prior to the scan, they still weren't going to see it because the urine was blocking the images. So that's the setup to this story. The rest of it is she now finds herself in the hospital where um, uh, oncology OB starts explaining to us that surgery would be dangerous. He says uh, a lot of things that make you kind of feel like he's on your side and kind of make you feel like he's not going to do anything. Um, Let's send your mom to rehab for a week. Get her strength back. And I said to him, hey, listen, a week before she had 2,000 cc's of urine in her, uh, she had plenty of strength. She was living on her own. She just couldn't pee. She doesn't need rehab. She's plenty strong. She needs you to take the cancer out of her. And he says to me over the phone one day, I'm not going to kill your mom on an operating table. So she's got to get stronger before I do this surgery. And that was it for me right there, John. I was like, okay, this man's plan is to manage my mom into the grave. He yes. is not trying to help her. He has no he has no considerations about helping her at all. He's lying to us. She's going to die, and he's going to go, oh, the cancer got her before she could get rehabbed. I'm so sorry, and that was going to be the end of it. Now, how do we fix this? Well, we get lucky because my neighbor's son grew up to be an orthopedic surgeon. So I call this kid and I ask him, do you know anybody works in this field? And he says, a girl I went to med school with, this is her background. He contacts her. She contacts the guy that she works under. He says, bring your mom down. We go see an appointment. He tells my mom, look, you're going to be dead in four months if we don't do anything. This surgery might be really difficult for you. What do you want to do? And my mom says, well, I would like to not go down without a fight. And he says, great. He schedules the surgery. Now, my mom has a complete hysterectomy. On top of the cancer on her ovary, they found more cancer in her uterus. And some of that cancer had jumped to her omentum. I think I'm saying that correctly, which is the lining sort of inside of your body. The surgery took much longer than he expected. And the next day I'm on the phone with my mother and I'm like, how's it going, mom? She goes, it's great. I'm fine. Big, you know, she's cut from stem to stern, basically right down the front of her. And uh, I said, how's the pain? She goes, no pain. I'm all good. I said, I said, well, they got you on the good stuff, mom. And she goes, no, no, I'm taking Tylenol and ibuprofen. So my 79 year old mother had a complete hysterectomy with complications, yeah. right? They fixed a hernia while they were in there. And she's managing the pain on over-the-counter pain medications. And a month before that, there was a man willing to let my mom die because he said she wouldn't tolerate the surgery. So that's a very, very long story. Well, it segues perfectly into one of the real things I wanted to share. Go ahead. I mean, really perfectly. Um, I had tried at various times in my life to rope things under control, as you can tell by my story about my weight loss. Mm -hmm. And, um, actually I, I put together a video of my tide pool, um, stats that I, um, animated across last year. And you can see that even during the dumpster fire portion of that, which I call it, there were weeks where I really quote unquote tried and I would really work hard to modify my diet and everything. But the problem was I was on an ever enormously increasing amount of long acting insulin. 
And so what happens when you're taking 140 units of Lantus or Toshiba, um, you can't stop eating. And by that, I don't mean compulsively or obsessively. I mean to stay alive. Mm -hmm. So if I take that much insulin and then I decide to have a very austere nutritional day, uh, the Western Albemarle Rescue Squad is going to visit me again. And that happened three times in the last year. But over the years, I would go to my general practitioners and I would say, because I'm a very smart guy, pat myself on the back. And I would say, I want to reduce my long acting insulin. And I would start like to start using fast acting insulin to bolus, to manage the, the mealtime highs or, or event highs and not have this um, elephant's foot on my neck. And always uh, it was uh, eat right, lose weight and get exercise. And I really appreciate that you called that out. How do you tell somebody between three and 500 pounds to do that? Do better. Great. Thanks. Uh, it's just insane. Yeah. And especially when this guy's telling you things that map, this makes sense. And, and John, bigger, and bigger picture, you don't get to 500 pounds because you eat too much only. Right. You, you get there. Right. He should be looking at you saying, uh, do you see a therapist? Yeah, a psychiatrist. Do you? That you know, was part of the problem originally. Right, right. Yeah, right. So no, that's what got me there. You know, yeah, yeah, was yeah. the therapist and the psychologist. But it's not stuff, just so. what—it's not just what gets somebody there. It's what holds you there. Yeah. Right. Right. There's there's variables to a person's life, just like there are variables to managing your type one diabetes, your type two diabetes. There's things that happen that you don't necessarily see that maybe even others around you don't see that are main stressors for what's happening. Like, well, you know, actually, my my brother, as I call him, I'm kind of his bro dad. He was a home. Well, that's a whole other story, but these are his kids, actually. Mm -hmm. And we're not related by blood, but there's a lot going on there. And we came up with the phrase that um, everybody gets what they want and that it applies in certain ways. So the reason that that was staying there was because it was a mechanism that was serving a need. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't fat because I have food. I wasn't fat because of a predisposition to this or that. I wasn't all those things. It was I was desperately trying to cope with stuff. And that was a coping mechanism I'd come up with. 100%. And so a doctor telling you, stop doing that. Would, would yeah. That's stop doing what I think is working for me. Yeah, right, right, right. It, in your mind, it's saving your life, by the way. And it, it, it's the same thing as um, when my wife had uh, hypothyroidism before anybody would give her medication. Her her life was crumbling around her, and they'd say to her, you should get more exercise and eat better. She's telling them, like, you don't understand. Six months ago, I, I didn't do anything different. This wasn't my situation. No, no, no. You got to get more exercise and sleep better. You know, get some more sleep. Are you getting enough sleep? It's just, it's, it goes on and on and on. It happens constantly. It's going to happen to you if you have type one, it's going to happen to you if you have type two, if you've been abused, if your thyroid stops working, it's going to happen to you if you're 79, you have cancer. The thing everyone has to remember is that no one cares as much about you as you do. Not, not even doctors. And even when you're caring poorly for yourself. Right, right. It, it's exactly. It's not that you're not trying. You just through forces and variables in your life and your psychology and and in a number of different ways, you are making the best decisions that you can and you are following the best paths that you can. And it's super simple to say, just shut up and stop eating all that or, you know, you know, be normal, put the cookies away, you know, blah, blah, <laughs> blah, like whatever crap thing somebody might say to you about any number of anything. It's not about this. It's about everything. I, I, I hope that 
I hope the people listening can understand that what I'm trying to say is that everything we do is influenced by more than you can see, even when it's you. And so coming up to someone and saying, just do it differently is a kindred to like, I don't know, like finding a depressed person and saying, smile. Well, thanks. Cause I'm depressed on purpose because I forgot to smile or cause I'm, that is absolutely silly. And it is the state of how we care about people medically most of the time and often all of the time. We just don't see it because it happens to certain people in certain levels. And some of you listening are lucky enough to be uh, driven in the right, right way, educated in the right way, intelligent, which you cannot take credit for, so that you can hear this basic advice and then you take it home and put it into practice for yourself. Really think about it. Who's really doing this for you? Diabetes, right? Like it's a common thing. We always, people say it all the time. Uh, in six months, you'll know more about type one diabetes than your doctor does. Well, how the fuck should that be real? Like, are you serious? Because I live with it. He's the guy. She's the person. Maybe she should try it. Maybe she should, you know, in, you know, engulf herself in diabetes till she understands it as well as I do. Wouldn't that make sense? Because the doctor that fixes your heart, they immerse themselves in heart surgery till they understand it better than anybody else. Why is this? Why is this acceptable? And the the answer is, I have no idea. This is how it works. This is this is the state of human beings helping human beings in 2022. This is the best you can hope for. And if you don't advocate for yourself. If you don't do the things that you need to do and you expect somebody else to do them for you, you are going to come to a bad end. That That's all. Now I'm all upset, John. It's early in the morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, uh, things come to mind. There's things I wanted to make sure to cover in this interview. Mm. And I also had in my mind, like, as the shows, as the podcast unfold, even if it's something completely unrelated to me, menopause, let's say, um, you, you and your guest unroll and uh, expose different thoughts and ideas that are valuable to me. And um, so I thought to myself, when I'm doing this, like, what do I expect? Also, since you don't pre-interview, you don't discuss, there's no images here. You just call in and go. And that's very real and live. And I was like, well, where is that going to go? Because usually I'm very controlling. (laughs) And um, I find that, you know, as I've heard you, you touch on the right thing. So I want to really quick run through a couple of things. You we're, we're right on here Go and kind of the brighter side, like where does it turn around? Cause I've talked about a lot of kind of, you know, daunting kind of things. And so they would always tell me, you know, take care of yourself, blah, blah, blah. And so this time my GP, a nice guy, but the same bad advice um, moved out of state. I got a new GP and this guy was brilliant. Cause I went to him again with my pitch, right? Um, I want to get fast acting insulin because of blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And the guy looked at me and almost detached, but not, but you know, he said, you need to go see an endocrinologist. Would you like a referral? <laughs> and it was like, we're not really going to talk about that. Go see an endo and not in a bad way. And so mm-hmm. I saw her a month later and I like to tell this story because what I did is I said, I told her, look, I'm the owner operator of this guy here. I'm the captain of my ship. And I'm looking for a, a chief medical officer and um, I'm interviewing you for that position. Excellent. And the key here is that you have the keys to the medicine locker. I don't. And you have the skills and knowledge to assist and advise me in running my ship. And so can you work with that? She said, well, hell yeah. 
And she said, uh, is your pharmacy such and such? I'll send out a prescription for Humalot. And I give, and so what she did is she gave me that, that chart. I forget what you call it, but like 150 and above do a unit, 250 do another, 200 do another unit, et cetera. And she sent me on my way to figure it out. Not in a bad way. She is incredibly overworked and she's a saint because I'll tell you what happened in that meeting. After, after she said, I'll send in the prescription for the Humalog, she said, have you ever thought about a pump? And I'm a type two. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about a pump. And for me, a pump was somewhat akin to a backpack with hoses snaking out of it, you know, some, you know, thing. And I I thought, well, that's not for me. But then I thought, hmm. And she said, you know, I said, well, tell me more. And she said, blah, blah, blah. She said, there's tubed and tubeless. And I sleep like a blender. (laughs) (laughs) There's just no way a tube situation goes to work. And then she mentioned, you know the tubeless thing. And I, and I don't want to turn this into an advertisement for Omnipod, but I'll tell you what, I live 40 minutes out of town, stopped at my uh, pharmacy and picked up the Humalog. I'm a real smart guy. I'm all about the Google and before the Google, the Dewey decimal. And I learned things. And so I never had filled up my mind with what a pump was. So I got home and I got the Humalog. I'm like, Hmm, let me check that out. Let me give a dose of that or whatever. And I'm reading about the Omnipod stuff and I get a call from the, from the Omnipod rep. And at the time I was on Medicaid because my business imploded and um, you know, that's a COVID story. Right. And um, he said, well, you're on Medicaid. And the funny thing is what Virginia's done as of like last month, you're good to go. And we'll ship you out a bunch of these Omnipods. And that was fantastic. And mm-hmm. now all of a sudden I was the owner of a whole new thing. Right. Uh, fast acting insulin, and now even a, a, a pump. And so I was devouring, you know, uh, just screens upon screens of tabs upon tabs. And I was learning about it. And then the Omnipod rep called me and that happened. And I had bad experience with my pump trainer. She got me started, said we would talk again the next day and three three days again later, and it took 10 days to get a hold of her. Well, in that period of time, I, I had re- read before about artificial pancreas and I studied up on it. And um I, I built loop and started running loop and I was running it open loop and fiddling with it. And then I figured, well, now I'm going to need a night scout. because I'm very data driven, but I was going through crises, you know, uh, of the change and everything. And I was, I was um, really going through a lot. I just didn't have time. And I wish wanted to get the thing up and I'm not trying to make this a pitch, but I found a business that um, offers a, a, a pre-built, you just sign up and your night scout is there. And I work there now. And I had a small tech support issue getting started. And I mentioned that in my documents, in my tech support tickets. And, um, you know, next thing you know, I'm working there and I, I do all, most all of the tech support. And I also do engineering. I'm a Unix and systems engineer. Mm-hmm. But um, it just shows how deep that get into things. So that's a side thing. But the important thing was I was looping right away. And the other important thing is that, so I'm working with Ben West and, and I'm getting to meet people who um, are very familiar and intimately involved in the whole thing. And they've told me repeatedly that we never thought this would be something type twos would use. And so here's an interesting thing is uh, my C peptides that I've had now since um, getting back on to take, you know, re- realizing I'm a diabetic and that I want to, not that I want to live, I want to live comfortably until I die. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I want to live, but this is just like, stop the terror. And, um, and so anyways, there's this thing about, Hmm, we never kind of thought it worked with type two. So C peptide, right? So I am, um, insulinopenic. 
which is an unusual thing for type 2s. Um, type 1s are insulin dependent, which means they don't make sufficient or any insulin. As, you, as, as we know, you know, it doesn't mean absolutely zero. There's a little bit of variance, but it's pretty much, you know, none. But I am in that boat. So I'm, I'm at risk of DKA and other things, and I'm learning to understand and live with that. And it may be that, you know, what it is, is we know that at the end game of type 2, you lose beta cell ability, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't have autoimmune. And so things I've come to understand is I don't have the complications of autoimmune. I'm not allergic to this. I'm not allergic to that. Hashimoto's, uh, celiac, um, all the other things I've heard about and learned here. Um, those aren't on my back, right? I, I can eat poison and do fine. I, you know what I'm saying? I've got that kind of con- I can eat glass shards mixed with poison and I'm good. Um, no allergies or nothing. So, but I am insulin panic. Hey, John, let's stop for a second and just define that for people just in case. That's not a word you hear too often. But it, very simply, I want to make sure you're using it the way I understand it. It just means that you're uh, you're just producing an inadequate amount of insulin, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, so, And most type 2s produce an overwhelming amount of insulin. Right. That just doesn't get used or... or right. It, and that's why we have, have U200 insulin. and U500. Right, right. Okay. Go ahead. So, hey, so real quick, um, let's stop and go backwards for a second before we get too far away from this. Please. Pri- prior to them putting you on insulin, your management consists of, I'm guessing, metformin? McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> metformin. <laughs> you, were taking, you were taking metformin. And yes. was it doing anything? How, I mean, how could you even tell it was pissing into a, a tornado? Okay. Was there anything else they were giving you besides eat right and go for a walk. No. And, but I'll tell you right now, I'm on a, a GLP one. I have been for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I trans transitioned from uh, what's it to Ozempic. And oh, I'm, I'm on that, a SGLT two giants. And those are additional drugs that are not indicated for type one. You don't want it for type one. And there's an interesting thing there because those can complicate insulin therapy, as you may have heard in giants and SGLT two can lead to hypos. It, it very much complicates things. Okay. I'm sorry. I get confused when people say Ozempic because then I hear the jingle in my head. And, <laughs> and I, if I don't, if I don't uh, play it out in my mind, I can't get rid of it sometimes, but it's gone now. I took care of it while you were talking. Um, so you're just around thinking, that. Sometimes I'm yeah. a little bit envious of type ones. I'm joking. Right. But they don't have to dial in those elements. They do have to dial in the attendant autoimmune <laughs> world. Right. But you're not having to manage those drugs and insulin at the same time. And the other thing I want to point out is my diet. I eat less than 25 grams of carbs a day, all from fresh vegetables. I do not eat anything that I don't prepare and cook in my house from raw foods. I'm not some hippy dippy thing on this. It's just science, pure science. There's Mm. hippy dippy elements to me, but this is nothing other than medicine. Okay. And if I do eat a second, I eat one meal a day. And if I do eat a second meal, it's an omelet in the midday. And okay. that's just what then the important thing here is that's what works for me. When I see your kids out there having uh, chocolate chip waffles, and you know who I'm talking about if you're listening to this, um, I live vicariously through the chocolate chip waffle. <laughs> but I've had every carb, cheap and expensive, uh, deep and rich that you could have in a human lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I've got memory banks full. I don't need to go there. 
I'm starting that's to the uh, change that happened to me this time. Yeah, John, at 50 years old, I'm starting to understand why older people stop eating. Huh. It's I'm, a it's a it's a bother. I, I just I'm like I, I've had it already. I'm good. It's not going to yes. be surprising when I eat it. Um, but I want to say also, I cook the hell. My kitchen is a temple. Yeah, I do love it. No, I'm serious. And I yeah. love to cook. And I cooked for these kids last night. I made the most beautiful Faroe Islands um, uh, salmon hmm. and uh, steamed Brussels sprouts. I, I bought uh, two steaks yesterday, which I will smoke tomorrow. Mm. And then I yeah, will. I, I enjoy I will, that you've been taking up smoking. Yeah, yeah. I will slice them down very thin. And eat them as I walk, but like a couple of times a day, I'll reach in and pull a couple slices out and eat it like that. And that that's the happiest I'll be because I'll be, you know, I don't know, like I'm just not snacking on snacky stuff and et cetera. Um, but, but, but I want to understand you start using insulin, you go pretty much right to looping. Is that correct? Time wise, you're not too pretty long. damn straight. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, insulin, Omnipod, looping. Um, when do you find the podcast in those steps? Right around there. Okay. Find the podcast. Cause I'm, I'm all, I'm a heat seeking information missile. Okay. Well, that's beautiful. And then at that, so I want to timeline this at that moment, when you find insulin, what's your weight? Um, my clinical weight measured in the office was 337 pounds. All right. So you're 337 when you find, when you get on insulin, um, you also make other changes to eating at that point, or does that come after you start having some success? So, you know, the funny thing there is it, it starts happening right away, but what's really cool is to see continuous process improvement and the results. Mm-hmm. And so it started really fast. It was really getting dialed in, but now it's much, much, much more refined. Right. Okay. Yeah. So at the time I was still doing a thing where I'd be like, look, don't eat compulsively. Don't eat all the time. Don't eat all don't graze through the night. And more like grazing was kind of like a snowplow on a highway mm-hmm. um, and just knock all that off. But then my comfort was a delicious sourdough sandwich, roast beef, cheese, vegetables. And you know, those huge planks of sourdough bread. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's nothing I love. The one, you know, I'm talking about from a big bowl, right? From the middle slices. I I would toast it and throw a little bit of sea salt over top of it too. Oh, stop it. I could just live a life of that. Of course. And by the way, right now, right now in my head, I'm just, it's the memory bank. Mm -hmm. I don't need it, but I I certainly remember it. And I love that sandwich, but that was 50 grams. And I'll tell you another thing. So the CDE, the, the educator that they hooked me up with there, who's dealing with a million people and has a very conventional outlook. Uh, told me I should be eating 50 to 65 grams per meal uh, three times a day and two 15 gram snacks. And when I got to understand, when I actually had the bolus for those and watched the effect, oh, I should also tell you that I was using Dexcom for four years to the week before I started this. Oh, okay. And all it was, was this damn alarm. And a thing that my friends would call me out on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You suck, John. I bet you that's what it sounded like when it was beeping. Oh, yeah. You suck. You're yeah. screwing it up. And my friends, though, I'd be on the phone or something like this, or even with some people. I don't get out a lot. And it'd be like, me, me. And it'd be like that look. Hmm. That well, look. Like it, they were like the extra volume to the alarm, right? Well, hey, let's go on to that for a second. So, um, where was that high alarm set at? <laughs> I lived my life between 250 and 350. Okay. So and I'll tell you what, if I woke up in the morning under 150, it was a glorious victory. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. I, I've heard people say that wearing a glucose monitor for someone in your situation can, for some people, offer a window into things that they didn't know what was ha- what was happening and that that could help motivate them towards change. But uh, it did, it did me, not work that way for you. Here's the important. Well, here's the thing. Now, I'm so glad we're here. And I love your interviewing skills. And um, it's both a matter of knowing the person you're talking to, somewhat listening, and your own knowledge about these things. But this is the important part. Um, it didn't. And the reason was because I didn't have the tools. Now, here's the glorious thing. So that's where I was getting to. She said, do you want to pump, right? And then the guy says, your pumps are on the way. And then I'm Googling what the, the world of pumping is. What is this stuff? How does it work? And then I got Loop, where right now I run Loop Dev. I run something called a switcher patch. So it allows me to ju- change the amount of the autobolus. There's a level at which autobolus switches from basal adjustments to autobolus. There's also a new negative IOB thing. It's all very cool. So for me, it's like science, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And if I have the data and the tools and the, in other words, the knobs and the dials, now I can have effect. Before it was like anesthesia. That's what the treatment was. Pump, you know, jam this stuff through your leg and roll. Mm-hmm. And exercise. And so it was this this big veil of ignorance and a thing attached to me that would just tell me how bad I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so the thing, the the crucial victory for me was having the tools to adjust the data and to get the data where it needed to be and to understand that the data was a true reflection of my health in the moment. Mm -hmm. Is that as important as I want it to be? Yeah, it's perfect. It makes perfect sense. Um, and so that for me was the liberating thing that changed things. And so I told you I've lost before, right? I've been 280 before, but through those journeys, one of them was like this liquid diet thing with the hospital and the whole thing. And the other was similar, you know, and the best one was that first hundred pounds I lost. Well, um, but that was bringing me from the brink of literal death. Right. Yeah, in other words, yeah. I think I dropped down to 400 because I could maintain that longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So th- at 500, it's, it's, it's critical mass. You, like something bad's going to happen really fast. And so you, Scott, you, when yeah. you cannot perform basic daily intimate hygiene needs, mm-hmm. are you with me? Can't wipe your ass, John. Can't wipe your ass, Scott. Uh-huh. You know, I'm really like out here, aren't I? <laughs> but, by the way, there's a huge part of me that wants to call the episode. Can't wipe your ass, Scott. <laughs> Oh, A-S-C-O-T. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> and I and I made a note to uh, thank you for saying austere at some point in the episode. <laughs> uh, You're saying which? You said austere earlier. And oh. I was like, well, there's a word I don't get too often from people. I was I appreciative of that. Uh, but so, okay. So you, um, you dive. I overcompensate r- with vocabulary. Yeah, well, I like a nice word once in a while. So you dive into this whole thing. How long ago is you starting insulin on the calendar? See, that's really hard to nail down, right? Okay. Because again, it was like a big veil of ignorance. You know, I mark things in my life. I can remember was where I was when I had a thought 20 years ago, but I can't mm-hmm. exactly fix that, right? Okay. So you fix it with where that doctor's office was and where you were at the time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that's got to be in the early 2000s, like early 2000s. And I remember the doctor saying, this is some new stuff. And that was Lantus. Now, I know Lantus was kind of like 99-ish or something. Okay. I don't know. 95, maybe even. I don't know. But so I guess it was new to him, right? Because he yeah. was like. Well, John, it's funny. I knew this, but it got away from me too. So all of this 
any success, I'm making finger quotes, that you had over the last 20 years, like, you know, waking up at 150 being a good thing, most of the time living over 250, that was with a background insulin happening. You had a, a basal insulin going on in you, and that was still your outcomes. And, you know, it was 60 for a long time, and then it went up and up, and then it was 80, and then it was 100, and then it was 120, and then it was 140. Wow. And that was to have that kind of profile, right? And then I would have an austere day. And um, I talked to my friends at the, uh, and I'll tell you a funny thing about that. Um, lows, as you know, lows aren't the same as they were then. I can, I can be 50 and, and I'm, I don't get there, but I could, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I really do a good job of not having lows too. My lowest lows after the first couple, I had a 51 or 52, but my lows now run 61 to 65 and I actually set my actual range down to 65. Okay. Cause I'm, I don't, I'm not too worried between 70 and 65. And I'll tell you the thing about that, Scott, and thank you. I have learned not to fear insulin because I had tremendous insulin trauma, tremendous and feared the hell out of it. And now I'm making a move to the powerful stuff. Right. Mm. And um, it was frightening. And, and what I got from the podcast, Scott, more than anything, was the context to understand the use of insulin and that you don't have to be afraid of it and that it's a tool that you can use effectively. Oh, that's great. It, it's long been my feeling that you can't possibly take good care of yourself with man-made insulin if you're afraid of it at the same time. And, and that's just, I've been, I mean, before the podcast, I would write about it, just trying to get people over fear um, et cetera. So, okay. So, uh, land is forever. Now suddenly you're pumping. So, you know, now your basal insulin's gone. Well, it was Traceba for a while, right? And oh, then, you got Traceba in there as well. And Traceba is even worse for what was going on with me because Traceba's half-life is double and you can't get out from under Lantus, but you sure as hell can't get out from under Traceba. That's mm. something you've got to <laughs> deal with for days, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So, so when we go to pumping, how long ago was that? That would be, I started pumping July 1st of last year. Oh, okay. Uh, no, yes, yes. July 1st of last July year. July 2021. At that moment, you weigh what? 337. I mean, I 337, like two weeks before that. So let's okay. call it 335. All right. And now we're in April, 2022, May, June, July. You're not, you're only nine months into this really. Where's your weight now? Under two. You know, especially the bigger you are, the more variance you have through the day. Mm -hmm. So morning weigh-ins are always the best. And I'm consistently coming in under 272 for the last four or five days. Wow. That's really something. So you're down, Jesus. Oh, 60, yeah, you use a calculator. 60, around 60. 65 pounds, maybe. And yeah. um, in nine months, and the and the the change is... You're managing your insulin. It's funny because I think people would think, oh, higher blood sugars, uh, you must be, that must be better because you're probably losing insulin. Like, I don't mean better like that, but I mean, you, you must be losing weight because your blood sugars are high all the time, but that wasn't even the case. Mm. You, you know how, uh, I've never even thought of that. Some eating disorders, uh, you know, I mean, we've talked about it enough now, please don't want to do this, but you can manipulate, take your insulin away, make your blood sugar higher. And you know, you almost like when you're, you know, when people are diagnosed, they're like, I was so skinny, right? Well, they were so skinny because they were in DKA, probably. They, right. need, they needed insulin and they didn't have it. 
So some of the eating disorders involve you manipulating insulin to keep your blood sugar higher so you'll lose weight. But my point is, is your blood sugar was plenty high and you were not losing weight. And so now well, you've got- Well, your- I was treating with Mc- M- McForman, McDonald's, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, you, you, it, you know, it's pissing the in food. the wind. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, you're, you're treating with nothing, you're not eating well. And so now you're eating, obviously, but how many, how do you think about it? You think about it as calories during the day? No, not I do even? not give one whit. Calories are meaningless to me. Mm-hmm. All I care about is my carbs and my glucose because everything else will follow. Gotcha. If I'm treating my carbs right and I'm not having to use massive amounts of insulin for it, and there's nothing wrong if you're 17 or 35 or whatever the hell, and you're not mm-hmm. obese and so forth, then, you know, have all the cake you can, please, and think about me while you're having it. Um, but I don't need that. It doesn't work for me, right? So part of my metric, or as it were, is reduced insulin usage indicates reduced need for insulin, which means less glucose, which means less nutrition. It has to be good nutrition. That's the important thing for me. I cannot spend my, my grams on crap. Yeah. It's the glycemic impact from the foods. And well, no, I'm not even that. I just can't spend it on crap. If I eat something that has carbs in it, it has to have nutritional value, good nutritional value. It has to be cauliflower. It has to be broccoli. Uh, Carrots are, are, you know, higher, but they work really well for me. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't do potatoes. I don't do rice. I don't do, uh, I will have like, two slices of Dave's thin sliced bread a month, maybe because I just, the stars line up that I don't have vegetables ready or I didn't go to the market or whatever. So I have an open face uh, hamburger. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, the important answer to your question there is I only care about carbs and mm-hmm. I don't have a protein rise. That's interesting. I That's thought cool. I would get a protein rise because of the volume that I'm eating at, right? Like would have to get it somewhere. And so what I think is going on is there's just so much coming out of my fat. Do you have any feeling that your is your own insulin production helping you at all or no, right? You, I'm insulin and panic. They're, yeah, yeah. There's oh, so really the answer to your question is I – so to part of that answer is where I am right now is I have an A1C of 5.3 measured at the lab on Friday in preparation for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and my um, uh, coefficient of variation and standard deviation are both 10. And – um, what's the other factor? My time in range 65 to 120 is 96%. Wow. My time in range to 140 is 100. And so that's kind of bragging and hell yeah, right? Take your victory lap. But uh, more, it just reflects the control I've been able to achieve. And you can't really, I think, you can't really, you have to have minimal variability to do that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to know where your sugar's going. Yeah. Does that, John- does that, no, it makes, sense? it makes total sense. I'm going to say something. Please take it the way I mean it, not the way it's going to sound. But the podcast helped you with all this, right? You know, that. so there's a thing. I take, comf- what I get from the podcast mm-hmm. is I enjoy your interviewing. Um, in the car or whatever, I listen to um, PBS. I, uh, I don't listen to music, unfortunately. I do at home. But I, I'm all about the data and I'm learning those things. And this has a very... A somewhat, you know, PBSy kind of tone to it. It's it's very um, informational. There's a rich amount of information, so I get that from it. I get community from it. And the funny thing is, this is a largely a Type One community, and even within that, it's largely a, a family community. And neither of those things am I. 
And yet I get a tremendous amount of community from it. And I wanted to do some shout outs here for some names, but I realized I couldn't get them all together. But there are a few people out there um, that I recognize and hello to you that have type two and um, are not afraid to talk about it and understand that, you know, whatever it amounts to, you have to take responsibility for your health and and, and do this thing. Um, Whatever was unfair is still unfair, but you're the person that's carrying that burden. Mm. I, I'm so, inc- I'm incredibly proud of you. I, I know that that's a weird thing to say. We don't know each other. We've never looked each other in the eye. And um, when you reached out to me to tell me how you were doing, or when I see you in the Facebook group talking about how you're doing, I mean, if the podcast was valuable to you in any way, like I, I don't care if it's about using insulin or if it's about community or if it's just about making you feel better in any way at all. Uh, I, t- I take a lot of... um. I just take a lot from that. It, it makes me feel terrific. And it, and it to me kind of proves out the idea that anybody using insulin would find something valuable about the show or, or the old with page. insulin, Scott. Yeah. That's, that's it, right? really one of the main things in community. And, and really within that you do a good job in the group and it's not hard. I run some groups in Facebook that have a few thousand people, very heavy participation for a decade and we don't tolerate nonsense. You're either in there because you want to be there and you enjoy people. And if you're one of these like zombies, you just need to go and do that stuff somewhere else. Yeah. And you're able to actually give people a a lot more leash than I would allow in my groups um, to catch themselves and recover. And then they do. And that's a pretty good feeling, I'm sure. And it's a good feeling as, as a member of the community to see those people understand the vibe in the group, which is to be supportive, non-judgmental. And um, open-minded is an important thing. And that's something I get out of all of your, the, the After Dark episodes. We could do a hell of an After Dark episode. Mm. And yeah, maybe we will one day, John. So Yeah, I uh, feel it's kind of like those old 60 Minutes or whatever interviews where the, they're in the shadow and their voice sounds like this. And <laughs> um, I actually, I tell you what, if I knew how to do that, I have an episode I could release. But I have uh, one recorded, um, I don't even want to say, they work in an endo's office and they basically talked all about what they think goes wrong in an endo's office, but it's so obviously this person that I can't release it. Uh, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll get, they'll get fired and I can't figure out how to change the person's voice. I wish so I, I told you, I work with people um, yeah. that are um, needing to use night scout and loop and not so into building it. Right. And um, so I spend a lot of hours, not only do I do engineering Unix, and, and TCP IP, you know, networking, all those kinds of things, um, DevOps. But I also do the support. Um, and I, I probably spend about 12 to 20 hours a week talking to people about how to use these things and talking about their diabetes. I'm not, none of the advice I give is, is should be considered, nothing I say should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but every single one of them I work with, this is the things I, I, I tell them about. And I tell them about, I tell them they need to go to Juicebox podcast and I tell them that integrated diabetes is out there. And the funny thing is, it's not because of you endorsing and doing those things. It's because that's my endorsement mm-hmm. based on my observations of what works. And I think that if people out there newly diagnosed or diagnosed for a long time, but not on their game or feeling they're not on their game, if they listen to this podcast, if they listen to the pro tips series from beginning to end in the order that's intended, um, they're just going to come away with, with a, a, a real journeyman's level knowledge of what to do. 
And then they just practice it and they ask questions and they can go through it. And that's for me, what this resource is that you've created. I'm it's so an open non-judgmental community that teaches people how to use insulin. Yeah. You know, it's and, oh, by the way, I've been wanting to say this for a long time, Scott, Go ahead. I call you, you're going to chuckle. I call you the prophet of insulin. That did make me laugh. <laughs> That's exactly what I say. I say Scott Benner is the prophet of insulin. I um I have to tell you of all the wonderful things you just said, it's possible if I had to rank them in the order that I'm most proud, it's of the part you talked about inside of the Facebook community, giving people time to get through whatever thing is happening to them that causes them to um not want to be part of the community the way you describe, but be a contrarian or, you know, be difficult. And I and I want them so badly to get to a better place. Then well, you um, touched on this in a recent episode is that yeah. people are so angry at their diabetes. Yeah. It's, and it's so understandable. I can't, I'm not going to be the one like, look what you've just explained, right. Or, or what any number of people have talked about coming on the show or what you see online, the, the success that these people are happening, having, I, I don't, who am I to keep them from that? So if they show up in my thing and they're, I don't know, not, not exactly, you know, ready to have conversations or feel good about things or whatever. And they, they lash out or they're, they're difficult or trying to stir the pot or whatever it is they end up doing. I don't feel like I'm, I'm not the, I'm not, I'm not the judge. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get to say, you don't learn about pre-bolusing. You're going to be, you know, who am I to take that from them? I've just seen so many people, adults, Elderly, children, parents, everyone, right? You know, red, yellow, black, green, doesn't matter. Like all these people have these experiences and their health gets better. And I am not going to be the one to stop that from happening to them. So I try my hardest to shepherd them through whatever's going on remotely from my desk. And now Isabel helping in the Facebook page as well. She's terrific. I was just wanting to get a break. And ah, it's yeah. so funny. I was just now waiting for the break so I could mention Isabel. Yeah. So she, she's such a great, she'll be on eventually. I imagine, hold on one second. As I text my mom that I'm busy, give me one second here. This is, um, um, I don't know. It's gotta be back in, oh my God, it must be over six months. Now I get a note from this person that basically says, I see what you're doing and I want to help. And that's a that's a, a scary proposition for me because you've described that I'm doing okay. You know what I mean? And I know why things work and I know when to push and I know when not to push. And how can I bring another person into this? Because they're not going to understand my sensibility. But I get on the phone and here she is, a grown person with her own children and um, says that she has the pot- a deft touch. Yeah, she, but she knows what I'm doing. Like, like I felt like when she started explaining to me what she thought I was doing, there was part of me that was like, is she in this room? Like, how does she, <laughs> like, she really just got me. And I said, and now, now imagine the situation I'm in. It's not, it's not a fun or easy job. I can't pay her. She just does it through kindness for other people. And um, I can't wait. Well, to that's have why her. people, that's why people write loop. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, John, it's insane, right? For all the doctors and all the institutions and all the companies, your your entire story about how you escaped every medical thing that was happening to you, 
basically all the touch points are where nice people in the world who are also struggling with the thing that you have came together and did a thing and made it available to everybody else. And and I want to tell you something I might sound angry about in a second. I don't mean to, but it just bothers me so badly. When I started this podcast, I got a note from a person who told me that I was going to hurt somebody by telling them to be bold with insulin. And to that person, I say, if you if you are here today and you hear this episode, you please hear that it it saved John. And Amen. Yeah, yeah. And I know how many people listen to this podcast and how often it is downloaded and streamed and listened to. And I won't say those numbers specifically out loud, but I will tell you that more people will listen to my podcast today than will listen to probably every other diabetes related podcast this month combined. And so you need to, you know, be honestly, honest though, if people. you only reached a hundred people, Oh, it would be amazing. And it was, it used to be amazing, John. I used to, trust me, uh, first month of the podcast, 1300 downloads. I'm going to tell you right now, there better be more than 1300 downloads in the hour where you and I are talking, or I'm going to be like, Oh, something's wrong. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you, you know, like so, by the time this makes it to the air, it'll be a million. Oh, please. The show's going to hit 6 million total soon, a week or so. And it's very possible that it could be at 11, 12, 13 million in a year. And the important thing there is that's an indicator of the reach of your prophecy. Forget the reach, John. Calling it a prophecy makes me uncomfortable. But um, I I use it humorously. I know you do. You probably hear the smile. I I did. I did. Uh, I just got to make sure people don't think I actually think that. (laughs) Well, um, it's not. It's it's really. you're, You're a voice in the woods telling people insulin is good. I'm telling you, if you need insulin, you need to use it. And that's, that's that. And it's not stacking if you need it. It's not stacking if you need it, John. <laughs> that's bolusing. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, no, no. Point, point is, is that, is that people need, they need the truth. What they do with it after that is not my business, right? If, if someone hears bold with insulin and decides to give themselves 20 units when they need two, John, I, I, don't, I don't know what I can do about that or not do about that. But I, I can tell you that I don't think it's incredibly likely that someone's going to go from a two-unit bolus to a 20-unit bolus and, and hurt themselves. But what I think is important and what I have seen proven out over again is that part of my job is really just to be a coach. I'm sort of the guy that slaps you on the ass while you're running out on the field and goes, you can do it. Like that, that That's sort of that, right? And how are you going to do that? You're going to do it by understanding how insulin works. And you're, and you're there's you're every kind that you turn a lap. You're there saying that. Yeah, we're going. And you've great. got a crowd. The crowd behind behind him to the side of you is saying that. I mean, it's yeah. hard not to want to finish each lap. And what it does is it draws other people in from the sidelines, and then they jump out there and they start running too. It's a dance and, party. Yeah, it just it's so. The whole thing just makes sense to me, and it always has. I've never understood this idea of like, don't share your A1C. It'll make somebody feel bad. Hey, what about for all the people? Uh, who are- that's a, that's, that's a thing for me. I find in type two groups that when I share my success, there's some outright blatant hostility that goes down. Yeah. But it's helping way more people than the angry people. And, and I can tell you from my experience that sometimes those angry people, those people who see that and go, you like, they basically want to be like, go to hell. You, you know what I mean? Like, I can't accomplish mm-hmm. this. Don't rub this in my face. 
You know how many notes I've gotten from people who said it says something to that effect? And then six months later, I get a note from that <laughs> same person who says, hey, I'm so sorry about the angry note I sent you six months ago. My A1C is 6.5 now. And I understand what you're saying. And it just rubbed me the wrong way at first, but I was in a bad place. It wasn't you, it was me, is basically what the what it says. And and if you don't give people the opportunity to figure that out, then no one's gonna figure it out. And sure, we might not save everybody, but isn't it better to isn't it better to help five out of ten people than zero out of ten people? You know, I don't I just that that just makes that makes common sense to me. So anyway, John, I want to ask you if there's anything else you want to talk about, because believe it or not, I'm trying not to make your episode too long so people don't get scared away by the fact that you have type 2 diabetes and yeah. it's a long episode. So, And I know you don't edit much, but I hope I've yeah. uh, given of myself well enough to be of use to people. And I'm out here in the community and um, I, it's a bless everybody who might be listening to this. Um, you're, you all are really a blessing to me and part of my victory. No, that's wonderful. I, I just, I can't thank you enough for doing this. And I do believe you'll be back on, but um, I just really oh, appreciate this, John. Also, it was very good that I had to wait eight months or so to be here because my story wasn't well enough formed and didn't have enough substance. So I would say to anybody, you know, who is invited or has an opportunity, use those months to learn your story, I guess. It, that's what worked for me. John, that's a that's a secret of the podcast that I don't really say out loud, but I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um I'm I'm I don't use the word blessed very often, but I am blessed that people want to be on the show so much. I do record almost every day. And um at the moment now we're talking April twelfth. I'm full for the year and mm-hmm. I'm and I, I'm I'm gonna have to open up twenty twenty three pretty soon, but I, I'm trying to wait into the summer a little bit. Um people sometimes are very motivated. They, 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 you know, they get lit up by something. They learn something or they're seeing something and they want to come talk about it. They don't even realize they're not fully formed yet. And so the six mm-hmm. months, the six or so months you have to wait to get on the podcast is the great time for you to compile, compile, compile. So, you know, you can tell me, hey, Scott, like you do a great job talking to people. All these episodes are really valuable, et cetera. But part of that secret there is that I don't just let people on who have a wild hair up their butt and want to come on real quick. Like, and, and I'll tell you, uh, three, that's where I came in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you were shot out of a cannon when you first like reached out to me and I was super excited for you, but I was like, mm, not yet. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> put a fork in it. It still came out wet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe I'll tell you twice a year I log on, there's no one there. And I go, okay, fair enough. I made them wait six months. I but, like that too. Yeah. But, but, and then I just edit, I just spend the time editing. Um, but I mean, I'm, uh, there's no shortage of people who want to be on the podcast and because they have to wait and they get to, just like you said, they get to really firm up their ideas. It's why you get good conversations. So I, I can't thank you enough again for, for everything, um, for sharing yourself in that space. I think we're going to motivate more people with type two diabetes to, um, to um to see the light for themselves and and I, I think you're going to be a part of that. So thank you very very much. Thank you, Scott. And um I don't know, just keep doing what you're doing, and it's a tremendous honor to have been a part of the podcast. And um I really is, and to share my little part of things. And I hope that I this I hope this episode is not too embarrassing and is helpful to people. No, it's beautiful. It, it's a it's a really beautiful thing you did. So thank you. 
I'd like to thank John for coming on and telling his type 2 story and remind you that if you have type 2 diabetes, I'd love to hear from you. I also want to thank Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 and Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod 5. Go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox or Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox to get started today or to find out more about their offers or just read about their products. I want to thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. Actually, I guess if you want to find out about that Facebook group that John's in, it's the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group. It's called Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. Go check it out.